Tunobities. Welcome back to Tunobities, everyone. Great to be with you. Rupesh is back here with you. Um, really appreciate you all joining the podcast today and watching all the previous episodes. I have a fantastic episode for you today. Someone reached out to me and wanted to talk about diabetes and the stigmas associated with the disease and people um, experiencing that disease. And it really intrigued me. I had never really had thought about the topic all that much. And, and so I'm really pleased to have Chet Galaska join us today. Chet, welcome to Two Nobodies. Appreciate your time. And thanks for reaching out and, and making me aware of this topic. And really excited to hear about your story and, and why you do what you do and, and all that sort of thing. So welcome to Two Nobodies. Appreciate you having you. Thanks, Rupesh. I'm glad to be here. Great. So I don't even know where to start. I wonder if we just start a, as far as why you got into what you're doing and, and a bit about your story. Maybe that would help. And and I'm sure the topic of diabetes, I mean, people know what diabetes is, but they also probably don't know. So um, we'll probably probe into all of that. But maybe why why are you doing this? Why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story, Rupesh. Uh, I've had type 1 diabetes for over 40 years. Mm. So I I know diabetes pretty well. At least I thought I did. Um, I'm not a medical person at all. I'm just a Mm. businessman. Uh, I was president of a company for most of my career. I'm retired now, but now I'm focused on diabetes. Mm. Now, the reason for that is that uh, I was in Chicago and an incident happened. Before I Mm. explain the incident, you need a little background about diabetes. Okay. If people are using insulin, uh, there's a possibility that your blood sugar can go too low. Everybody knows that high blood sugar causes the damage, but low blood sugar is supposed to be a different problem. Mm. In the body, the brain takes sugar directly from the bloodstream. Mm. It doesn't store it like other parts mm-hmm. of the body do. So if there isn't enough sugar in the blood, the brain starts to go haywire. Mm. And what will happen is you can start sweating, you lose your coordination, uh, your eyesight gets hazy and fuzzy. Uh, sometimes you see double if it gets low enough. Mm. If it gets really low, you can pass out. So low blood sugar is nothing to fool around with. Mm. Luckily, it's easy to cure. Mm. All you have to do is eat some sugar. Sure. And as soon as the sugar gets digested, then the blood sugar comes back up. So it's something that uh, diabetics like me have to watch out for all the time. Uh, today, it's much easier because of the mechanisms we have, the uh, the tools where we can check our blood sugar that didn't exist uh, 20 years ago. Mm. So the what happened in Chicago is that I was in there uh, during the week when Ron Santo was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Now, this is back in the 1960s. Mm. Uh, Santo was a, a star player, but he had type 1 diabetes, so okay. he was using insulin. Uh, one day, uh, he's in a game. Uh, the Cubs, he, he's in the on-deck circle. The Cubs are down by two. There's two men on base. Uh, it's the last of the ninth, and uh, he feels the, the low blood sugar reaction coming on. Mm. He starts to sweat. Mm. And like all other diabetics, me included, you know what the signs are. Mm. Well, Santos' problem was that the team didn't know he had diabetes. Mm. He was afraid they would fire him if they found out, and he was probably right about that. Mm. So he's stuck out there on the on-deck circle, can't go back to the dugout to get a candy bar. 
uh, and explain to the manager why he's there eating a candy bar in the middle of this <laughs> critical situation. Right. Yeah. So he's in the on deck circle and he's just praying that the uh, the batter in the at the plate will make it out and retire the side. Hmm. Well, instead the guy walks. So now uh, there's th- three men on base. Uh, they're down by two, hmm. and Santo comes walking up to the plate. He said he looked up, and there were 30-some-odd people standing in the field because he was seeing triple. Mm. So there were three pitchers. There were three scoreboards. Uh, and this is the low blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So he said when the pitcher threw the ball, it looked like it had a slinky attached to the back of it. So he took a wild swing at it and put it out of the park for a walk-off Grand Slam home run. Well, Santo made it around the bases, and he got to the dugout, and he ate his candy bar. Mm. And nobody knew that story for 10 years wow. when they celebrated Ron Santo Day when he was retiring. Mm. So as a and diabetic— And then he told, him, he, told him that st- he told that story then? He, yep, he, he made it public then. Okay. At that time, uh, he had been playing ball for 10 years. He yeah. was one of the most favorite players in Chicago, mm. and he had gotten five golden gloves. Mm. So at that point, they weren't about to fire him. Mm. Uh, so he felt free to, to come, come out with it. Uh, well, most people read that and say, wow, that's great. He hit a Grand Slam home run. How wonderful is that? Yeah. As a diabetic, I'm thinking his real victory was making it back to the dugout without collapsing. Because most of, the, yeah, most of us have been there where, man, you feel like your sugar is going low. And, man, I hope I can eat that sugar quick enough to, to avoid any of these problems. Yeah. So, you know, for me and other diabetics, we'd say, well, what a great story. It's, it's much greater than somebody who doesn't know about it would think. Yeah. So I came home and I started telling that story to people. And I came to realize that most people don't understand diabetes at all. Mm. Um, the ignorance is just astonishing. And there are reasons for that. They're, it's not people's fault. It's just mm. the way things are. Um, but what I also discovered is that when they asked me questions about diabetes, I realized how little I knew as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, there are two major kinds of diabetes. There's type 1, which I have, and type 2, which is the other 95% for mm. the most part. And when people ask me questions about type 2, I realized that I didn't have the answers. And when I looked into it, I realized that what I had believed about type 2 was wrong. Mm. And much of what people, other people think about it is wrong also. And this creates a problem. Uh, Most people think that uh, type 2 has got it because they're overweight, sedentary, and they Mm. ate too much sugar. Mm. Uh, And none of those are true. Mm. Uh, So I can can explain to you, you know, why that is. Uh, In fact, if you don't mind, I'd like to explain how diabetes works. It's always good to have that basis. Yeah, for sure. In a normal body, when you ingest food, Uh, It gets broken down into sugar, which is called glucose. It's a very uh, simple form of sugar. That glucose circulates in your bloodstream, and it needs to get into your body's cells in order to give them energy. Now, when your pancreas senses that there's glucose in the blood, it produces a hormone called insulin. Insulin's job is to act like a key. It goes in the bloodstream along with the glucose, and it acts as a key to open the cell walls to allow the, in, the uh, glucose in. Mm. Now, with diabetics, the, that system is broken. Mm. In the case of type 1s, 
we have uh, an autoimmune disease where our body's immune system attacks the pancreas and it kills the cells that produce insulin. Mm. So we don't produce insulin, mm -hmm. which means the, the only uh, treatment for it is to take insulin, and that's got to be taken by injection mm -hmm. because insulin breaks down in the, in the stomach. Mm. So that's relatively simple. Type 2 is actually more complicated. Type 2s have a condition called insulin resistance. And what that does is exactly what it says. It makes the cells resistant to insulin mm. so that over time it takes more and more insulin to open up those cells. So there's some sort of adaptation that happens that, that makes the cells resistant to insulin. Yeah, it's, uh, as I said, it's called insulin resistance. Yeah. We don't know why it happens. Mm. Uh, they've, they've just uh, completed a study where they show there are at least 117 genes mm. that are related to type 2 diabetes. Mm. You know, because the one thing we know about both type 1 and type 2 is that they begin when a genetic predisposition encounters an environmental trigger. And neither one of those are very well understood. Mm. That study that I mentioned, uh, is, is, it's recent, it's just over the past couple of years. We don't mm. really understand the genetics, except to know that there are lots of genes that have a, a role to play, mm -hmm. and they often interact. So if you have interactions among 117 genes, the possibilities are enormous. Sure. In fact, it, it's so complicated that some scientists have said that it's possible that no two cases are exactly alike. Mm. Between the variations in the genes and the gene interactions and the environmental factors, which are even less well understood. So it's something that you can't prevent because we don't know why insulin resistance starts in the first place. Right. That's the part that gets omitted uh, in discussions about diabetes. You know, people think that, well, if you're overweight, then you're going to get diabetes. Yeah. Well, when I put things together, I realized that the, the Centers for Disease Control tells us that about 70% of us are overweight, but only 10% of us have diabetes. Hmm. So that's, you know, one out of seven overweight people gets diabetes, so it's not everybody. Uh, and on top of that, we have a lot of people who are not overweight, who do watch their diet, who do exercise, who become diabetic. Mm -hmm. So there's a disconnect here. It's mm -hmm. not just those personal factors. Yeah. Now, there is fact behind that, though, uh, because once you have insulin resistance, if you're overweight, uh, that does make it worse. What happens is that we have two kinds of fat. There's subcutaneous fat, which is a soft, squishy stuff on the mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. But there's also a hard fat that's on the inside of the body that surrounds your organs. It's a hard fat. Mm. It's called visceral fat. Mm -hmm. And the visceral fat is what worsens insulin resistance. Mm. It doesn't create it. It just makes it worse. Mm. So the idea is to lose weight. And uh, fortunately, when you lose weight, the first weight that goes is the visceral fat. That's why you know, people are told if you lose 5% or 7% of your body weight, you'll make a difference. It's because mm. you're losing that, the dangerous fat. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as eating sugar goes, that has nothing to do with it at all, except that once you have insulin resistance, if you eat a lot of candy, then you're stressing out your pancreas. You're making mm. your pancreas create more and more insulin, and mm -hmm. that helps to, to wear it out. Uh, in the end, when people really have problems with type 2, it's because the pancreas no longer has the capacity to make enough insulin. 
and that's where the need for drugs and, and that sort of thing comes in. Yeah. So this is a this is a big problem that that I see. There's a disconnect in the messaging about why diabetes happens. You know, if you know everybody thinks that they know the overweight part and they think they know about the sugar part mm-hmm. and the the sedentariness part, uh, but all of those come into play after you've got the underlying condition. Now, insulin resistance is not curable. Mm. And, uh, you know, my immune disorder is not curable either. So what should There's been nothing, no, no um, clinical cases where people have been able to reverse anything when it comes to that you're aware of anyways? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, okay. And I'll, I'll tell you, Rupesh, if, if there were, was a way to take care of either one of these things, uh, the scientists that came up with it would be like Jonas Salk. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would be a very famous person. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, back when insulin was, was first uh, refined enough to, to use, uh, you know, those guys, that, I mean, they were scientific guys. They got Nobel Prizes, and they were the toast of the town wherever they went. Banting you know, that, and best, right? Yes, exactly. Canadians, in so, fact. Canadians, in fact. And just a really quick really quick story. Um, so Best, Charles H. Best, um, uh, the elementary school I went to was Charles H. Best Elementary. So isn't that an interesting connection? Cool. <laughs> well, see, that's what I mean. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, these guys, and getting insulin to the point where you could use it to save people's lives was huge. Mm-hmm. But if you could figure out a way to reverse insulin resistance mm-hmm. or reverse, reverse the autoimmune problem for type mm. 1s, you would be even a bigger hero. Yeah. Because that would mean you wouldn't have to deal with the disease at all. Yeah, that's so the thing that's sticking out for me is what you said about, you know, um, yeah, I think people, including myself, I'll admit this, that uh, that with, you know, I always thought that those who had type 2 diabetes were largely because of their lifestyle factors, right? Sedentary lifestyle, the way they eat, that sort of thing. Um, I exercise regularly. I eat pretty clean myself. I don't even think about like that doesn't cross my mind at all as far as like yeah. potentially being at risk for diabetes. Like it's, it's, um, I always just think like there's no way I could ever have something like that. But what I'm hearing from you is that, um, yes, those things, those could be environmental triggers though for, for type two diabetes, but there's so much about the genetics we don't understand that could be potentially causing this for people who don't have those sort of lifestyle factors that we typically think of that are associated with type 2 diabetes. Right. And, and that's what people really should understand. You know, mm-hmm. the, the best way to determine your risk is to look at your family history. Okay. Uh, if there's a history of diabetes, you likely have the genes that will make us susceptible to it. Mm. It doesn't mean you're going to get it because you still have to encounter that trigger in the environment. Mm-hmm. But since we don't know what they are, then you're, you know, it's, it's the luck of the draw, basically. Yeah. Uh, there are other factors too, like uh, uh, you know, blacks, for example, have a higher rate, you know, but genetically they're just more susceptible to it. That's interesting. You know, it's not a it's not a racial issue per se. Mm-hmm. It's a scientific fact. Mm-hmm. So this is something that that, that community has to deal with uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a greater way. But talking about the, these things like uh, like the weight, this is where the messaging really gets confusing and. Mm-hmm. It's a reason people don't understand how it really starts. 
And we have, uh, even in the medical community, they'll tell you that you can cure diabetes or you can reverse diabetes or that you put in remission or yeah. you can prevent diabetes. Well, it's the way they define it. They say that you don't have diabetes until your sugar level reaches a certain point. Okay. So that's why we have a term pre-diabetes. Mm -hmm. you know, once you mm -hmm. get insulin resistance, the blood sugar will gradually rise. And when the, your doctor detects that there's a higher blood sugar, he'll say, well, you're heading in that direction of, of diabetes, yeah, yeah. pre-diabetes. So until you hit that diabetic level, they tell you you don't have it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go over that level, which even, frankly, even normal people go over the level when you eat, especially a high-carb meal, yeah. you know, your blood sugar fluctuates. It goes, sure. you know, it gets digested, goes high, then yeah. it gets absorbed into your body, and it goes back down. So, you know, even normal people get higher blood sugars mm -hmm. temporarily. With diabetics, they will stay high unless you do something about it. Mm -hmm. So th th that's a big difference. But here's here's the problem. When people are told they have diabetes, it means that you've chronically got a blood sugar that is over that diabetic level. Mm -hmm. And they say that if you can drop it down below that level, then you have cured diabetes. Well, you've, it's, it's really twisting the, the everyday usage of the word. You know, when we think of cure, we think, well, it's done. I'm not going to have to deal with this anymore. Mm, mm. Uh, but that's not the case. You know, if you bring it down below and they say, well, you're cured because you're below that level, but then you go out and eat three candy bars, you're going to be uncured in a heartbeat. Mm. So it doesn't mean you don't have to deal with it. You still have to deal with it because the underlying cause, you know, which is insulin resistance, is always going to be there. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when people talk about preventing diabetes, what they're talking about is keeping your blood sugar from getting over that diabetic level. Right. But the way you do that is by treating uh, your body the same way you would as if you had diabetes. Mm. You have to watch what you eat. Uh, you should exercise mm -hmm. uh, and do all those things. Yeah. Sometimes you even take medications for it. Yeah. Uh, it, but that will never go away, and and that's that's the thing. It, I think the general public, some people anyway, will think, well, actually, this is part of the stigma. You know, the people are likely to think, well, you know, you could have prevented this, but you didn't. You mm -hmm. could cure it, but you don't. Yeah. Why yeah, not? Yeah. There's a choice in the matter, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and it's just not the case. Hmm. Now, you know, the way I believe they should present it is, is to say just what I said earlier. You've got insulin resistance. You're going to have to deal with this for the rest of your life. The question is, how well do you deal with it? Do you deal with it well enough to keep your blood sugars below the diabetic level? If it's higher, uh, are you dealing with it well enough to keep it moderately higher so that you mm -hmm. won't have complications? If you just recast it that way, you would take the stigma out because people would know you couldn't prevent it and you mm -hmm. couldn't, you can't cure it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's the kind of thing that, that I discovered where, you know, I'm taking just the scientific facts that everybody agrees on mm -hmm. and re-messaging it so that we take the stigma out. And this is something that is really bothersome uh, in the world of diabetes. We have a term for people who are critical of diabetics. Um, There's a term for this? Yes. Okay. They're called, they're called the diabetes police. Okay. 
And if, if you read diabetes publications around the holidays, around Christmas, where everybody's going to parties, yeah. uh, the question is, well, how do I deal with somebody who comes up to me and says, uh, they see the cookie in my hand and they ask me if I should really be eating that? Mm. You know, it's that kind of thing. Or they'll just stand, stand there and look at you like, mm-hmm. you know, what a fool you must be. You've got a diabetes. Mm-hmm. You've got diabetes and sugar is poison for you. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, in fact, sugar is not poison for diabetics. You just have to be cognizant of how much you're eating. Right. Uh, but we have, I, eat, I eat sugar, I eat ice cream, mm-hmm. but you know, I'll not eat something else instead to, yeah. to cover for that. Yeah. I, I'll tell you an incident that actually happened to me. Uh, I was in a restaurant. We had a, a banquet for, for Christmas. It was a, a Polish restaurant. So I ordered the, uh, the Polish platter. It had kielbasa, it had uh, pierogies, mm. which are uh, basically turnovers, uh, some sauerkraut, uh, a couple of pieces of bread. Uh, and I had a guy next to me said, uh, you're going to eat all that? And I said, well, let me tell you just what I'm going to do. I said, uh, I'm only going to have one piece of bread. Mm. And I'm looking at uh, those... those uh, Kolokis, which are stuffed cabbage. I said, just mm-hmm. about half of that is rice. You know, rice is carbohydrates. So I'm mm-hmm. figuring that that's worth a, a slice of bread right there. So there's a trade-off. Uh, I can eat the kielbasa. I can eat the sauerkraut because mm-hmm. that's not going to raise my blood sugar at all. Mm-hmm. So I told him, that's what I'm going to do. Watch me. <laughs> so, that, so I did that. And I, I saw him the following day. And he said, so how did it go after you ate that meal? I said, you know what? Uh, when I got up this morning, my blood sugar was 114, which is perfect. Mm. I said, but but that's the kind of thing you need to do. A diabetic has to look at his plate and ask himself, where are the carbohydrates? Because right. the carbohydrates raise the blood sugar. They're the ones that spike things, yeah. They do. And, and this is yeah. interesting, too. Um, you can take a gram of carbohydrate, mm. uh, like a gram of bread, for example, Um when that bread gets digested, it raises the sugar exactly as much as a gram of sugar. Mm. So you have to recast the way you look at food and know what the carbohydrates are mm-hmm. because that's how important it is to, to regulate that, that food. Is there, um, I mean, we hear a lot about obviously simple carbs and complex carbs. And um, I mean, at the end of the day, it all gets broken down into into those molecules, right? But any difference from as as a diabetic and how you look at simple and complex carbohydrates? Well, for me personally, no. Okay. Uh, one thing I have learned is that my my uh, knowledge of of, of diet is, is minimal, mm-hmm. uh, and I know what's worked for me. You know, mm-hmm. I look at the total carb carbohydrates. You can find out by reading a nutrition label, yeah. or you can ask Alexa. Which is great, you know, Alexa. <laughs> how, how many carbs in an ear of corn? It should tell you twenty-five. Uh, so it's really handy. Uh, there are lots of ways to get that information, but I don't delve into the details of how stuff gets digested. I, I'm just a regular guy trying to live my life. Mm-hmm. As long as I can identify those carbs, uh, I can adjust for them, and it's never going to be perfect anyway. If you look at a nutrition label, which is, they're really wonderful things because the facts are right there. Yeah. But with those nutrition labels, they have a margin of error of 20%. Mm. So 
you know, everything is just a roundabout approximation of what you're dealing with. Right. But still, it's good information. Back when I first got diabetes 40 years ago, none of this stuff existed. Mm-hmm. You know, you had very few sugar-free products, uh, which is another issue too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't have ways of testing our blood sugar. Mm. I mean, it, was, it was really the Wild West where you were flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, ingredients weren't labeled properly. Like now the order of ingredients is is, uh, is pretty much, you know, whatever the majority to the least majority that's in the product, right? Like it's all organized real well for, for consumers. It is. And, and and this is another thing that diabetics need to know. You know, you look mm. at that label and anything that ends in OSE, you know, that's a carbohydrate, that's, that's mm-hmm. a sugar. Mm-hmm. But you're right, you look at that label, and if those things with the OSE are on the top of the list, you, you should really think about this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you still eat, eat it, but maybe not all of it. Yeah. You know, it's, but it's just a, uh, an adjustment that needs to be made. Is the, is the goal to, to really keep just like the chronic blood sugar levels into manageable in a manageable way then is like, you know, like you said, blood sugar fluctuates from time to time, but as long as, as long as in a chronic way, you're, you're keeping that in a, in a certain range or whatever, is that really then the goal for, for everybody? It's to keep it low enough so that you don't have complications. Yeah. You know, I think we've all heard the Torah stories about, you know, amputations and blindness and, Mm -hmm. and those things, they do happen. Uh, I know people they've happened to. Uh, Why do those happen, by the way? I've never really looked into that. Well, they happen because when your blood sugar is chronically high, it it just uh, hurts your entire circulatory system. Mm-hmm. Uh, with blindness, for example, it'll weaken the blood vessels in the eye. Mm. Uh, they rupture, and the blood that flows out of that rupture gets into the that aqueous fluid in the middle mm-hmm. of the eye, and it clouds the vision. Okay. Uh, and if that's not treated it just builds up and builds up and you you can't see Mm. Uh, that's another thing today by the way if diabetics need to get a uh, eye exam at least once a year okay because the doctors can actually see where a blood vessel is starting the process of rupturing Mm. and you can go in there with laser surgery and take care of that so you can prevent the blindness Mm. Uh, but you've got to be attentive. You you got to got to get to the ophthalmologist and listen mm-hmm. to what he says. Mm. Uh, with uh, amputations, uh, it's typically the feet and legs that that uh, have the problem. Mm. That's because they're the farthest away from the heart. The so blood the, pools. It pools right. Yeah, you don't have the yeah. blood pressure down there that that you have in the rest of your body. Mm. So, you know, really, your, your blood goes everywhere, mm-hmm. and that higher blood sugar level just hurts everything you know kidneys uh go also uh cardiovascular disease is big uh but this is one of the reasons that exercise is a critical part of diabetes care Mm -hmm. and this is another uh, problem that that i see i actually used to go to uh, diabetes classes you know they would have them in various locations I, i went to one and it was a CAN program. It was uh, done by one of the, the pharmaceutical companies. Mm. And it was given by the hospital staff. You know, they had uh, diabetes people there who taught about it. And it started off explaining th- what diabetes is, much as I described earlier. Uh, and then it talked about food, you know, 
pretty much the same stuff I just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I talked about pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And the only time exercise was brought up was when I brought it up. And they said, yeah, you're right. You know, it, you know th- that is absolutely important. But it wasn't part of the curriculum that was presented. So the CDEs, Certified Diabetes Educators, mm. who were presenting the course, they just stuck with the script. But once I brought it up, they, they reiterated that it is important. Mm. Now, one of the reasons it's important is that it just keeps your blood mechanically flowing through your blood vessels. Mm. So the more active you are and the faster that blood flows and the more regularly it flows, the less chance there is of plaque buildup due to the high Mm. blood sugar. Mm -hmm. So it is critical. Um, Interesting story. I've written a couple of books. And the person who did the design work on on the diabetes book uh, contacted me one time. And she said, I've got type 2 diabetes. And my doctor gave me this prescription. I went to the pharmacy and they told me it was going to cost $500. So I told them, take it back. I'm not spending $500 for this medication. Mm -hmm. So she said, I did the design work on your book, but I never read it. So I sat down and read it. And when I got to the part about exercise, that's what I started doing. Mm. I started walking 20 minutes a day, every day. And I started watching my carbohydrates. And she said she lost like 20 pounds over three months. Mm. And her blood sugars came right down to where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So she went to her doctor after that three months. And she said he was amazed. He said, how did you do this? She said, well, I read Galeska's book. <laughs> <laughs> but then she, she talked about the exercise. Yeah. And she said, really, the exercise is what does it. And, and this is curious too, Rupesh. Uh, I've exercised my entire life, and I've, I've worked out pretty hard for most of it. Mm. But one of the things that I discovered is if I work out really hard, my blood sugar actually rose. It didn't go down like I expected it to. Mm. Uh, and I finally figured out that what happens is that when your blood sugar goes down, which it did while I was exercising, your liver uh, both stores and creates glucose Mm -hmm. and when it sees that you need the glucose it just bombs it into your system Mm -hmm. so what would happen is i would be dropping the blood glucose the liver would say okay here you go and then throw all this glucose into my blood Mm -hmm. with the result that it was higher well when i started reducing my exercise a little bit to prevent it from going that low everything worked the way it should Mm. So you could have a low blood sugar at the end of your workout because you didn't trigger the, sh- the, the liver. Mm-hmm. Well, this is something that people need to know also. You know, it's not heavy gym workouts that you need to do. Mm-hmm. It's activity as much as you can do it during the course of a day. Absolutely. And that includes things you already do, whether it's walking around the house, doing your vacuum cleaning, uh, you know, walking up and down the stairs, taking care of the kids. What, whatever makes your skeleton move mm-hmm. is exercise. And the, the, the low level of exercise is really effective in, in helping control your blood sugar. Just getting that circulatory system moving, right? Well, you get it moving, uh, but also something else happens. When you're exercising, it makes your muscles more receptive to to, to glucose. Mm. So the, the, your muscles will take the glucose right out of the bloodstream mm. and they'll either store it for future use or they'll burn it right away. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a natural process that, that just happens. Yeah. Uh, so the, the key isn't to be out there training for a marathon. It's just to keep your body moving, mm. which what it boils down to is you can't just be a couch potato. You know, if you're sitting around not doing anything, you're, you're literally killing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But if you get up and even go for a walk around the block, you're doing yourself a world of good. Yeah. Um, you talked about, you know, when you're exercising, you get this sort of rush of, of glucose entering your blood. Um, I mean, I had this experience where, you know, I, well, I usually, I usually, um, uh, exercise right in the morning. I, I don't mm-hmm. eat anything. I actually, I've, I've been able to get to a place where I can exercise on an empty stomach and have feel fine. Like I don't have any sort of like, uh, low sugar effects, but when I first started doing it, Oh, I would get those kind of low sugar effects that you talked about when you started the episode, right? Where you get the sweats and you get the, and all that. Um, I imagine though, like, I mean, the liver also, when you wake up is that glycogen stores are are down, right? Like they're, they're pretty much, uh, uh, so why you got to break the fast, so to speak, is what traditionally they say, right? So, well, it's funny you would mention this, uh, that the liver is really (laughs) in my book, I've, I've, I've got a chapter called the wild card. Okay. It's all it's all about the liver. Okay. Because it does things that you can't control, and it does mm-hmm. them at times where you wouldn't expect. It's <laughs> you know sometimes things happen with diabetics, and you think, well, this should have happened, but it didn't. And it, generally, it's because the liver did something on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens with the liver is that there's something called the Dawn effect. Okay. Even in normal people, the liver will will release sugar into your bloodstream because, you know, you've got the circadian rhythm. You know, it knows when you're going to wake up and it knows you're going to need energy when you get up. So mm-hmm. it automatically raises your blood sugar before you get up. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another one of those liver things. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it is it is really, really fascinating. I, I want to go back to the, the that's that, like, what are the effects, though, of those low blood sugar states on on your health? Like, is there any sort of contribution there towards developing insulin resistance? Like, I mean, that seems counterintuitive, but you did bring it up. And so I'm wondering, um, if there's any sort of issue there, if people are always in kind of this low blood sugar state or they have these kind of, you know, downward spikes, so to speak, uh, in their blood sugar. Yeah. I, I don't know of any firm scientific opinion on that, but I can mm-hmm. tell you that, my uh, CDE, again, that, that stands for Certified Diabetes Educator. Mm-hmm. Uh, diabetics need to know about them. These people really know their stuff. And the most valuable information I've gotten about diabetes is from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my CDE once told me that uh, I should really be careful about low blood sugars. Uh, she had one patient who uh, was a little older than me, and he, he developed dementia and you know the, those sorts of problems afterwards. And she believed that his chronic low blood sugars had something to do with that. Mm-hmm. But again, that's just an anecdotal thing that I happen to, to have been told. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this is another thing that's hard about diabetes. We want to keep our blood sugars as low as we can. And to do that, especially if you take insulin or some of the type 2 drugs, you can get mm-hmm. that low blood sugar. So you don't want to go over that line, but, you know, you're, you're kind of 
you're trying to keep your blood sugar as low as you can, but it can't go too low. You know, mm. you, you got to always be cognizant of that. And it's going to go low sometimes, but you just have to be aware of it and take care of it when it happens. Mm. Um, you know, talking about blood sugars uh, and where you want it to be as a diabetic, we, in my experience, and I think probably in the experience of every other diabetic, it's really hard to keep your blood sugar in the normal range. It's, uh, it's very narrow. It's very mm. hard to get in there and stay there without going low. Mm. Uh, and the diabetes people know this. Uh, what they ask you to do is to keep your blood sugar higher than normal uh, because even though it's higher, uh, most of us can get through without having the complications of amputations and blindness and all that stuff, mm -hmm. which is really the key thing. We have a test called the A1C. What it does is it, it uh, measures your blood sugar on average for the previous three months, and that really you know, shows what kind of control you've had. A normal uh, A1C is under 5.7. Okay. If, if you're between 5.7 and 6.4, that's prediabetes. Mm. Uh, if it's uh, 6.4 or over, uh, it's called diabetes. Mm -hmm. Now, well-controlled diabetes is anything 7 or below. So it is marginally higher. Uh, it, 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 well, it's, not, it's marginally higher than prediabetes, but it's not marginally higher than, than normal. Mm. You know, the difference between 5.7 and 7.0 is, is significant. But at least at 7.0, you know, you, you should be doing okay. And that's something that is attainable. In fact, my last few years, mine's been running 6.6, 6.7. Okay. Uh, and I won't even try to get it lower than that because I, mm -hmm. I know I'm skirting trouble if I do that. Mm. But here I've had it for, what, 42 years so far. And, uh, and I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. And there are people who have had diabetes for uh, 60, 70, 80 years who, who, who live good lives. But they need to be attentive. Yeah. I was, uh, something that you said earlier really surprised me was just, um, the lack of understanding of the benefits of exercise, like on, on this whole thing. Like that's, uh, is, I mean, I imagine though now everyone understands that, or is it still something that's not a major focus for? Yeah, Rupesh, it's not a major focus and that's what the problem is. Okay. Um, well, that's that surprises me, like how it, this is. Uh, yeah, I, could, I mean, maybe I could understand that earlier, but I don't know. Maybe a bit biased to this because I, I exercise myself. But yeah, I don't know. That surprises me. This this has been known for a long, long time. In fact, one of the doctors at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center coined the term "magic bullet." A magic bullet is a simple solution to a complex problem. And he said that exercise is the magic bullet. Mm. And it is. When you have a high blood sugar, if you go for a walk, it will drop your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Period. It's a magic mm -hmm. bullet. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and this is another thing that, that, that I find annoying to no end. We see all these advertisements on TV with these happy diabetics dancing in the street because they took this medication. Well, you know, if you look at the inserts in every one of those medications, which I have actually done, every single one of them says, you've got to use diet and exercise. But somehow exercise never gets mentioned. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it, I just don't get it. Uh, 
but that's something that that's another thing in the messaging. You know, the the information is out there. You know, the medical people know that how this works. You know, why don't you make it a big deal to to say, look, you know, go for a walk. You know, do your housework yourself. You know, whatever. Mm. Uh, but they don't. I uh, I I think it was uh, late last year. I had somebody on the podcast. He's a uh, a professor from the University of Toronto and also a medical doctor. And he was telling me about how how the pharmaceutical industry uh, gets itself involved with medical doctors, like what that looks like, like, you know, whether it starts from, it starts when you enter med school and the, and the, there's sometimes special seminars that the pharmaceutical industry offers to doctors. And then, you know, especially more in the States, but even in Canada, you know, sales reps that come to doctors and, and, and speak to these things. And it's, it's, it's just part of the culture. And, and, uh, but I wonder from your end, like, what does the pharmaceutical industry get right when it comes to supporting folks with diabetes and what do they get wrong in your mind? I think they do a lot of good because the medications they they come up with really do help. There's no, no question about that. Yeah. Um, I'm not inferring that you could avoid high blood sugars just by diet and exercise yeah. uh, for a variety of reasons. That is a very, very hard thing to do. Um, and the medications do help. You know, when you've done your best with the diet and exercise and you still can't control it, these medications certainly help. So they're doing the right thing by developing the medications. But here again, see, the problem is messaging. It, it, it's, it, it's That's all it is. You know, yeah. they, they should be talking about uh, instead of making medications the primary way to control diabetes, mm. it ought to be the diet and exercise first. Mm. Do the best you can and then maintain that with a medication. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing with medications. Uh, you need to have some sort of a stable lifestyle in order for those medications to work. You know, if you're a couch potato one day sitting there eating chips and watching TV mm. uh, and you're taking your medication, uh, your blood sugar is going to be higher than it should. If the next day you are, are good, you know, you eat healthy, you go for a walk, it's going to be a whole different thing. You know, the, that the doctor needs to have you give the drug a stable body to work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if your behavior is all over the place, well, the medication is going to stay the same. You know, it's not going to be as effective as, as it should be if, if you if you didn't present a moving target. Yeah. You know, when you vary your, your activity like that, that's what you are. You're a moving target. You know, I, I, I kind of shudder sometimes. People will tell me, uh, gee, my, I got I have this doctor and doctor gave me this medication and man it worked great you know mm-hmm. how, how come how come the other three doctors didn't come up with this mm-hmm. and then they're out there telling all their friends go, go to this guy he's got the magic you know the magic medication well you know you, you did something you know maybe you cleaned up your act and, and you had a better lifestyle right after you got it mm-hmm. maybe your doctor told you go ahead and, mm-hmm. and, and go for a walk and maybe you did that you know it's we have this perception that all you do is take a pill a day and the problem is solved yeah and it's not it's not no. yeah over it's a, such an over-reliance absolutely um i want to i want to i want to talk a little bit more about the stigmas and 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 such and and um that 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 diabetics often experience but um in terms of on the diet side i know you kind of expressed uh how you approach eating 
you hear, I mean, there's so many different kind of fad diets and such. Yep. Uh, but what one that's obviously gotten a lot of attention in the last few years, and I don't know if you've looked at this at all. Uh, I, it's something that I actually undertake is intermittent fasting. Um, I, I do a kind of a 16, eight protocol where 16 hour fast, uh, you know, and sleep contributes to that. And so it makes it easy. And then eight hours of eating and, um, I've felt great and it manages, you know, things really well from a, from a, not that I'm, I've ever really been, um, my metabolism generally, thankfully has always been fairly good, but, but, uh, yeah, any, any comments on, on certain diets or things that you think, you know, that you've seen work or, or intermittent fasting in particular? Yeah, I don't, I haven't tried any of those diets. Mm. Um, I, I just, I focus on my blood sugar. What are, what am I going to do? Am I, yeah. I going to work out? If I'm going to work out, I'm going to have to eat some carbs before I do it because I yeah. know they're going to be burned. Mm. I will say this though. I've looked at the keto diet mm. and I, I guess that works for people. Uh, but what the one great thing about the keto diet is that mm. they have come up with all kinds of low carb recipes. Mm. So if you're looking for a for good tasting food that, that's low carb, you can go to some of these keto books and, and get mm. some pretty good recipes out of them. Mm. So for me personally, that's, I guess that's the only real contact I have with a special diet. Yeah. With diabetic diets, um, what we're asked to do really is eat a healthy diet. You know, mm. make sure you, you know, you, you got a plate with your, your greens and protein and whatnot. Uh, by the way, mm. protein does not raise your blood sugar. So you can eat all the all the meats you, you want to, fish, or mm. eggs, you know. Uh, you, that's what I, I tell people I do. You know, when I have lunch, instead of a full sandwich, I'll make a, a half a sandwich, but I'll load it up with a lot of chicken, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so you can feel full, uh, but you don't eat all that bread. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, when it comes to diet, those are the kinds of trade-offs that I make. Yeah. And by the way, I want to give a shout-out to my wife. Um, it's always a good but, thing. Well, I'll tell you, my wife is a good cook. <laughs> and almost always we have well-balanced meals. So I can't take credit for that because I don't make it, but it's always there. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, in addition to the exercise, I think that's been a, a big part of my success with this. Yeah, that's great. Um, the healthcare industry itself, we talked a little bit about the pharmaceutical industry, but in the United States in particular, like in Canada, we have, um, health insurance that each of the, the provinces and, and, and territories provide to, to citizens here in Canada, um, or to residents, I should say, but in the United States with private healthcare insurance, is there any sort of, um, uh, discrimination that happens or, or is there like how do you feel like the treatment of of diabetics is when it comes to coverage uh, by health by the healthcare industry? I I can't help you, Rupesh. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I I just don't know. Yeah. Um, I I have private health insurance, so you know I'm not struggling with you know with the state state insurance that gets provided for low income people. Mm. I I do not know. I do. I do think it's much harder for people on the lower end of the economic spectrum to deal with diabetes well. Mm. And this is something I would really like to work on. Mm. Uh, The biggest problem, number one, is that people don't understand the impact that carbohydrates have on their their blood sugars. Mm -hmm. 
uh, the problem is that those are the cheap foods that people eat. Yeah. You know, uh, you go to the bodega and, yeah, pick up some Twinkies or whatever. I mean, it, it's cheap, tastes good, uh, but it's, it kills you. But if you want to eat a balanced meal and eat a lot of protein to help keep your, your blood sugar down, well, protein tends to be expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, chicken, maybe not so much, but I would love to develop ethnic recipes that taste great and are cheap. Mm. Uh, and, and that's one thing that, that we ought to be doing. Um, I once gave a, a talk, believe it or not, to a, a group of homeless people. Now, these people clearly do not have the money to really deal with diabetes well, but still they have diabetes. And at this uh, this breakfast they had, they had uh, grits, scrambled eggs, and sausage. Mm. And it was kind of a perfect example because I, I told them, you know, of, of these things, if you like grits, have some. But load up on the egg and on the sausage because neither one of those will raise your blood sugar. Mm. Um, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, I, I, I was talking to him about this, and he says, Chet, you wouldn't believe how much sugar we put in Kool-Aid. So I, I made it a habit of, of asking these these guys, you know, you guys like Kool-Aid? Oh, yeah, we like Kool-Aid. How much sugar you got it? And you put in it. And they all had their different recipes. You know, you, mm-hmm. had, to, you had to cool the water first and then put the mm-hmm. sugar in a little bit at a time or, you know, X, Y, Z. There's all kinds of variations on it. But this, uh, you know, culturally to me, this, this was news. I had no mm-hmm. idea that this was going on until my friend mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a kind of thing that, Somebody needs to talk about you. You got to be aware that this is what's happening. I also know of people who will drink two liters of sugar soda a day. Well, you know, these are simple behaviors that if you've got diabetes, you got to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally, they are killers. So if we could get into these communities and just explain this stuff simply, you know, they can do themselves a world of good just by avoiding those really damaging behaviors. Yeah, I, I, you know, on the Kool-Aid front, interesting, I remember when I was a kid and the first time I made Kool-Aid, because um, I had people prepare it for me before, but I made it as a kid and I just put the package into the water and tried it and I was like, oh my goodness, this is disgusting. And then I realized I had to add a couple sugar, a <laughs> cup of sugar. And that's when I understood, wow, the amount of sugar that goes into something like that. I mean, I, I think you're, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying as far as um, you need, need to educate and provide awareness of the impacts of these things. Also to your point though, a lot of these, some of these low income communities, the access to healthy foods, as we know, is not there, right? Like everything around these communities is fast food uh, joints and and convenience stores and and where there's not proper supermarkets or access to healthy foods and and you know right now obviously with inflation so high it's it's uh, putting even more pressure on on folks yeah. right yeah so. it's it's a it's a bad situation yeah uh, but you know educating people in a way that they understand what's mm-hmm. going on is mm-hmm. critical because you can have as as many uh, supermarkets as you want. If people mm-hmm. don't understand why they should be paying a little bit more That's for true. healthy food, yeah. they yeah. won't do it. That's true. You know, yeah. uh, and that, you know, another aspect of this that that is damaging um, is the fact that everything is in short 
segments these days. This is why I like doing podcasts. Mm. You know, we get a chance to sit down and talk about this thing and get yeah. into details that you wouldn't get otherwise. And a lot of it is very basic stuff that ought to be out there. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it in a 30-second commercial no. or a, a three-minute news story or, yeah. you know, yeah. and, you know, it, they just don't have the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. And the, the shortness isn't just in the media. It's in doctor's visits. Mm. You know, at least down here in the States, you go to the doctor, you know, he's, he's, you'll be with him for 10 minutes and five minutes. He's looking at his computer. Uh, and so they certainly, even if they were going to explain all the stuff we've talked about, they don't have anywhere near enough time to do it. The, Chet, when you get to know me, there are, there are not many things that get me riled up, but doctor visits definitely get me riled up the way it's it's similar here i mean um some doctors you know will have a a roster of patients and they're able to to provide more dedicated uh care where they'll address multiple uh issues and kind of look at things holistically but it's not common to similar to your experiences there like you go in sometimes doctors will only allow one issue per per visit yeah some of these things, especially treating diseases, are, are complicated things, right? Like you can't uh, um, you can't just address them in you know three or four minutes. It's uh, yeah, I, I that that definitely gets me riled up for sure. But you know, this thing is doable. Um, yeah. With the the classes that that I gave, I haven't done the classes since before COVID, by the way. You know, Which classes? Came, uh, it's called the Challenge Diabetes Program. Oh, okay. Okay, what I do is that I, I talk to groups, and it's mm-hmm. a three-week program where I lay out essentially stuff that we've talked about. You mm-hmm. know, it's just plain and simple. This is what you got. This is how what you got to do, yeah. you know, in, in plain language without getting into all these scientific explanations. Like <laughs> I've gone to a number of diabetes programs, and especially with the ones that are run by dietitians, they always do this thing where they take a uh, – a, a, piece of wheat and they say well this uh, the outside of the part of the wheat is you know that's that's not the carbohydrate it's on the mm-hmm. inside and they go through all this stuff well i don't do any of that stuff mm-hmm. it's, it's just basically these are carbo- carbohydrates they're just like sugar you have to watch them and yeah. this is how you you know just into the nuts and bolts of every day this is how you can manage it you know if we were able to get that out more widely and it doesn't have to be me doing it or even mm. my program, mm. but just have a sensible program that spoke everyday English and, and told people what they were up against. It would make a huge difference. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, I've done a number of these. And one of the, the real joys of it is that when I explain that you did not get diabetes because of something you did, I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, the best thing you told me was that I didn't cause this. I spent all this time on a guilt trip because Mm. I thought there was something. And you know what? When you talk to other people about diabetes, almost everybody will say, well, I don't know why he got it, but he ate too much sugar. Or, you know, there's always one of those simple explanations that is simply not true that they come up with. So you wind up with diabetics walking around feeling blamed and shamed for having mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. I had one woman. This was a class that I actually gave at a, a medical clinic. This woman was over, overweight, and she broke down in tears because her father kept on her about her weight. 
And he kept telling her, mm-hmm. if you just would lose the weight, you wouldn't have the diabetes. Mm-hmm. And he, he was on her all the time about this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's not going to lose insulin resistance no matter how much weight mm-hmm. she loses. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but that's another reason the public needs to be educated. You know, we don't uh, come down on people with other diseases and blame them for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there was one researcher said that diabetes is one of the few diseases in America today where it's socially acceptable to blame the victim. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's not like, you know, that, that may work for people who smoke heavily who get lung cancer or COPD. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, okay, there's a direct correlation between, you know, what you've got and, and your behavior. So mm-hmm. fine, maybe that, that's another one you can blame the victim on. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case with diabetes. Mm-hmm. You didn't cause it. Mm-hmm. But as long as people have those attitudes, diabetics are reluctant to talk about it. Myself, uh, I, I had it for 30 years before I told anybody I had it. Mm-hmm. The only people he knew, that knew were people who really needed to know that I had diabetes because I didn't want people thinking that I was less able or weaker than anybody else. Or you didn't have, or, or um, you know, perhaps you didn't want people to have that perception that you you weren't managing your lifestyle properly or all these kind of things, right? Just avoid all of it, right? Yeah, the yeah, easiest yeah. way to avoid it, you, you know, you don't want to have to explain it every time you turn mm-hmm. around. Uh, and you don't want, and you know in the back of people's minds that they're thinking that, well, you you did something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but yeah. you did something. But this has tragic consequences. I spoke to a former employee a few years ago. He he was in a wheelchair. He told me that he had diabetes, and uh, F, he didn't do anything about it. So mm-hmm. after a while, he couldn't take the pain anymore. So he went to the hospital. They took one leg off on one day and the other one off on the next day. So now he's he's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died a few years later. Mm-hmm. Now, he told me that if I ever got diabetes, to make sure I take care of it. Now, I had known this guy for probably 40 years, mm-hmm. and he didn't have a need to know, so he didn't know I was diabetic. Yeah. But today, I, I, I wonder, you know, if he knew I was diabetic, maybe he would have asked me about it, and maybe I would have told him the same things I'm telling you, mm-hmm. and maybe he'd still be alive today. But that's that's the real damage that comes from the stigma. When people don't want to talk about it and, and don't share with other people and they're not open to other people approaching them, this is what happens. You know, you've yeah. got a whole community of diabetics that just doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, because they're afraid of uh, what people might say and how the shame and blame and all that kind of comes up, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if people just knew the facts about insulin resistance yeah. and the autoimmune disease, all of that would go away. Then you could just be somebody who's got an underlying condition they didn't ask for and is doing their best to fight it. Whole different attitude. Yeah. Um, So, so on that, then, what would you say? What would you want people to know as the key takeaway for when it comes to um, becoming diabetic versus the key takeaway in in managing your diabetes? Because I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing two different things, and I think it's kind of I think it's important for people to know. Sure. Well, the, the first thing to, to know is that you did not cause diabetes. Uh, it happened because you've got a genetic predisposition and something in the environment triggered it. So you are not to blame for that. You know, even, you know, we just don't know how to prevent it. 
So once you've got that condition, you are in a fight for your life every day of your life, unless somebody comes up with a, a, a cure, which is not on the horizon right now. So you're in the battle. Uh, the question is how well you can control your blood sugar so that you don't suffer consequences uh, and are able to live, live a long, healthy life. You need to know that carbohydrates raise your blood sugar, and you need to manage those. That's partly by knowing what they are and then having a little willpower to uh, modify what you're eating t to reduce them. The other is to understand that uh, everyday exercise has a powerful effect on controlling your blood sugar, mm. and, you, and you need to work that into your lifestyle. And that that is not a life-changing thing in that you've got to do a certain workout every single day. Uh, the impact of exercise actually lasts for two or three days, so you could skip a day and you would, you would still benefit from it. Um, and those are the two most important things. You know, watch yeah. the diet and the, and the exercise and, and uh, watch what you eat, and you can control it. Yeah. So, but these are not easy things to do. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. You know, mm -hmm. people, I mentioned the TV ads the other day. I saw one recently where, I mean, people were liter literally dancing in the street. They took this medication. <laughs> all is well with the world, you know. I That's mean, every the, drug commercial I see. Yeah. The, they're yeah. all of them. I, yeah, I know yeah. they're all of them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, don't don't take that at face value. You still need to do these things if you're going to yeah. control it. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, th I guess that's about it. And then what about for type one diabetics in terms of managing things that is that, is that, I don't want to, I don't want to simplify or, or understate this, but is it, is it a simpler sort of treatment solution in that case? Or is it also, uh, very difficult and challenging to, for those compared to those who are suffering from insulin resistance? Well, here, here's the ironic thing. Uh, People generally seem to think that type 2 is not as serious as type 1 because type 1s have to take insulin. Mm -hmm. uh, the day I was put on insulin, I said to myself, well, you're going to be taking these shots every single day for the rest mm -hmm. of your life, so get mm -hmm. used to it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I haven't missed a, a, a day ever. And I usually mm -hmm. have taken many more than just one a day to control it. You know, you on the face of it, that sounds like it's worse. But the fact is that I can adjust my insulin so that if I am eating a high carb meal, for example, I don't tell anybody to, to forgo your favorite food forever. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to have some spaghetti and, and really live large for, for a day, uh, I can do that, but I can also give myself more insulin to cover those extra carbs. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I can control my blood sugar by that. Mm -hmm. uh, with type twos, they don't have that advantage unless they are on insulin as well. Mm -hmm. And many type twos are on insulin. But if you're not, you don't have that flexibility of adjusting your insulin to the, the food that you eat. Mm. So personally, maybe it's because I'm just used to having type 1 for all these years, but I, I think type 1 is easier. Um, I asked my, my uh, endocrinologist one time whether type 2s had better luck than type 1s, and she said, you know, it, it all varies based on the individual. You know, I have type 1s like you, who control their blood sugars very well. Mm -hmm. I have type 2s who are completely off the rails, who are in serious trouble. So they're different things, uh, but they're both deadly serious. You know, yeah. they, they, they produce the high blood sugar, and whether it's from type 1 or type 2, 
high blood sugar is high blood sugar, and it's going to do the damage. Hmm. Uh, before we get into the last two questions, there's something that's maybe not fully straight in my head, and that is you said for type 2 diabetes, you're not in control of, of causing it. It's, it's the environmental triggers that sort of, uh, it, there's a genetic predisposition and it's the environmental triggers. When you say environmental triggers, though, just define that a little bit more because we've talked about, we, we've also talked about like when you are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, the management of that, your lifestyle can have an influence on how, whether that's managed well or not. In terms of the environmental triggers, are we saying that your diet, your lifestyle, are, are those part of the triggers in any way or, or what are you saying here? We just don't know. Okay. We don't know. Uh, okay. We don't know about type 1 either. Uh, you know, I know you asked me about type 2, uh, but in, in my case, I never used to get sick. In fact, I still almost never get sick. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I was 29 years old, I was sick as a dog. I was on the sofa for two weeks, uh, for two days, and I couldn't even move. Mm -hmm. and then it was over. And then within a matter of a month or two, I, I realized that things were definitely wrong. And in my case, I believe that it was a virus that triggered it. And that, that is one of the things that could trigger type 2 also. Uh, it, it could be anything, Rupesh. You, you, mm. you just, they just really don't know. Mm. Okay. All right. I mean, that's to some extent, it's, it's, it is, like you said, uh, you had some examples of people who came to your classes and, and cried and were so happy for, for them to hear that, right? Like that the, um, that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in their control that they, that they got this, but it's also kind of, it is kind of scary though as well to, to think that, okay, you don't know exactly what those triggers could be. Like you, you hope that if you eat well and you exercise, you live a generally healthy lifestyle that, you know, for many other diseases, you're reducing the risk factors. Um, I don't know if I'm hearing that from you in this case, because you, like you said, we just don't know. I've got a friend, uh, for years, we played in a pickup basketball game every, every week. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's thin. He has always watched his diet. Mm -hmm. Um, it's always worked out mm -hmm. and he became type two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he and I went out to lunch one day and he said, yeah, I got diabetes. Mm -hmm. Can't figure out why. And mm -hmm. I, I told him why. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's truly a mystery. When you see people who really have done everything right yeah. and they still get type 2, yeah. that's what the answer is. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's out there and there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Are you okay if we move to the, the two questions I ask every guest? Absolutely. All right. So the first one is our five for dinner question. Dead or alive, who are five people you'd want to have supper with? Okay. At first blush, I thought of a, a TV show that Steve Allen had years ago. Mm. Steve Allen was one of the first hosts of The Tonight Show. Mm. But he was a, this guy was a genius. He was a, a, a history buff. Mm. And he had this program called Meeting of Minds. And he would have random historical characters come in. There were actors who dressed as the characters they were and they were well versed in the history of that character and they would just sit around and, and exchange thoughts and ideas so I, I the ones some of the ones he had and you got a picture of this they're all sitting sitting around a table they had Cleopatra Teddy Roosevelt Sigmund Freud mm. Mahatma Gandhi mm. and Genghis Khan mm. 
They're sitting around the room, changing, <laughs> talking about their views of, of the world and life. Right. Uh, it, it was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so, but then I got thinking, if I really could do that, if I could really have five people in the in the, the room, maybe mm -hmm. we could do something productive. Mm. So I put together this list. I thought we needed a visionary. Mm. So I would have Jules Verne, who wrote okay. novels about going, in the 1800s he wrote novels about going to, to the moon and submarines and going to the center of the earth and, and all this far out stuff that was just totally in his imagination. Very cool, yeah. I'd ask Ben Franklin, Mm -hmm. who was a polymath. I mean, this mm -hmm. guy knew, seemed to know everything about everything, <laughs> uh, including politics and history and, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Uh, Thomas Edison, for mm -hmm. obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But then I would ask Robert Moses. Robert mm -hmm. Moses was a, a guy who transformed New York City during the Great Depression. Oh. He, he was able to build uh, uh, freeways, bridges, tunnels. I mean, he, he really changed the character of New York City over a matter of years. And the reason I chose him was that uh, obviously he could, he, he knew how to get things done, mm. but he knew the political system well enough to make it happen. Mm. And so if you're really going to change things in a positive way, you need to have somebody who really knows the way around that part of the world. And when, when was he around? Uh, 1930s. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was during the, the Depression. Uh, he's, okay. It was amazing what he was able yeah. to do. Yeah. Now, this may sound controversial, but hear me out. Mm. I would choose Elon Musk because mm. I want Elon sit, to sit there and listen. Because <laughs> Elon today is the one guy that if you want to get something done, Elon will get it done. Mm. So those you, would be my five. Those are amazing five. A few of them who I, I were new and I, and I learned about, so thanks for that. Uh, Elon has been on several guest lists for for a variety of reasons, but that is a consistent one. Is that um, not only the visionary part, but he does get things done. Sometimes he's a bit he is a bit more controversial these days, but you know, the the work that he's done and is doing is is outstanding. Like you know, he's he's put the things he's pushed in just a decade is is unbelievable. It, it is. It unbelievable. is. Yeah. And suppose you came up with a grand master plan for okay, we have these problems. This is how we can fix them. Yeah. And Elon said, you know, that's a good idea. Yeah. Let's get this done. Yeah. That might happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, great five. I love it. Uh, last question. Besides the circle of life, what do you know for sure? Nobody's plans always work out. If I don't mean by you, nobody. That was, mm. <laughs> that was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you're coming up with a fresh plan, they almost never work out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might get lucky, but there are always twists and turns that you have to adjust for. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Chet, this is an uh, unbelievable conversation. I, you're a great, first of all, you're a great storyteller. Uh, oh, you know, you. I could just sit here and listen to you for, and I did, but I could continue to listen to you for, for, for a while, just to hear you talk about your different stories. Uh, just you raising awareness on this issue, uh, very, very helpful and appreciate that the work that you do on that and that you even approached uh, me and the show on, on having you on. I, I'm so glad that we um, were able to have you and that we had this discussion. Uh, a lot of interesting information, honestly. Like I, I myself learned about 
not having control for type 2 diabetes as far as why you get it and the environmental triggers and we dig into that but like the management is key and that makes sense i think that's going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people i think it's going to be a bit of a i imagine a shift for some minds about the causes of type 2 diabetes um so yeah just appreciate the conversation overall and and uh, that we we talked about this today well thanks for having me i i really appreciate it yeah. Uh, we're going to put all of Chet's information in our show notes and, and like and subscribe and do all those wonderful things and comment and, and uh, look forward to talking to you folks in another episode. Thanks, Chet, so much. Appreciate it, John. Okay. You're welcome. Take care, everyone. See you.